Well, hello, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to pray again, because God's word says to pray without ceasing. I've not quite gotten that far, but I'll pray intermittently as best as I'm able. Uh, God, you are good. Uh, you are worthy of our praise. Uh, you're worthy of honor and glory and power and kingdom and dominion over everything, because you are God. Lord, I pray that your word would speak true to us today. Lord, that I would not insert too much of myself in the middle, Lord, but through your word and through my testimony of your word, uh, I ask that uh, hearts would be changed, Lord, that we would all draw closer to you to be more of the people that you've called us to be, Lord, that we would not be trans conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus. We ask this in your son's precious name, amen. Uh, if you would open your Bibles, please, today to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin uh, in verse 19. I know it says 25 on the screen, but we need a little extra context this morning. I've previously spoken uh, regarding some of our rights and responsibilities as members of the family of God, uh, of the duty that we all share uh, to bear witness to who God is and what he's done in our lives, uh, as well as some of the treasures that await us in heaven. Uh, that when we serve him you know, wholeheartedly uh, out of a desire for his glory and his kingdom, uh, that we would hear our heavenly father say, well done uh, upon that day when we live with him forever. And Matthew 6, 19 uh, is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount uh, and relates to this as well. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. A familiar passage, I'm sure, uh, to many of us who have grown up in church like I did. Uh, you know, we've heard stories of the rich young ruler who could not pursue God because he had many possessions. Uh, and he was not willing to sell the ball and give them to the poor as Jesus had asked him to. And it's easy for us to look at this and say, you know, oh, the rich, you know, who desire, you know, fast cars and fancy houses, you know, they could be, you know, giving that up and giving it to the poor. You know, we who are maybe not as well to do in our lives, you know, we're maybe scraping from paycheck to paycheck or, uh, you know, making do the best we can with what we've got and thanking the Lord for it every day. You know, we're not rich, right? We're not, you know considerably wealthy. So maybe this first doesn't apply to us. Well, I disagree with that thought, and it's something that you know, God had to change my heart on, uh, because years ago I was like this as well. You know, God, I've given you all of my excess, everything that I could spare, everything you know, on top of what you've given me, I've given away. You know, if I didn't need it, Lord, it was yours. The word translated as money here, uh, is also written as mammon uh, in many translations. 
and refers not just to a surplus or an abundance of wealth, but rather to a trust or confidence in our material possessions. It can be easy as a Christian to accept the idea that we should not seek comforts and luxuries before God, but his word teaches us more than that, which we'll look at in the next section of his word uh, in verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither toil nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." In these verses, God put, Jesus points out three anxieties that his people face. What they will eat, what they will drink, and what they will wear. Throughout human history, it is only when these three needs are met, food, water, and protection from the elements, that society progresses. When people's needs are met, and they are not struggling from meal to meal, from paycheck to paycheck, you know, just looking to survive, they are free to focus on learning and on creating new things. In verse 32, it says that the Gentiles seek after all these things, and that your heavenly Father knows that you also need them. The difference between the Gentiles and God's people comes in the next verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Now, for a bit of context, uh, I'm a fairly anxious person by human nature. Uh, I may not show it very well, but I try to make sure that all my ducks are in a row, that all the pieces fit together, that I'm well prepared for any and all circumstances. Uh, I was in the Boy Scouts growing up, and our slogan, be prepared, was one that I strive to uh, live by most days. Uh, I keep a bag in my car in case I ever get in an accident or emergency, I've got, you know, the things that I need, you know, at least on first hand to survive. And as a child growing up, it's something that worked well for me. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am one of seven children. Uh, we grew up homeschooled. Uh, my parents are loved Christians. Uh, my dad works full time, and my mother, uh, between the seven of us, was quite divided in her uh, ability to pay attention to each of us. As a fairly confident and competent young man, uh, I didn't need as much attention as some of my brothers and sisters. And I learned very early on to provide for myself, to make my own food, 
to wash my own clothes, to you know, basically teach myself uh, out of the books that were provided to us for homeschooling. And you know, for the most part, it worked out pretty well. I didn't need to bother anyone with my needs because I didn't have a whole lot of needs that needed bothering other people about. However, one of the things that you may realize is that as humans, uh, we are not built to be independent, uh, but that we do rely on community and on family and on a, a support structure uh, for general life. Uh, and in my teens, I began to realize that. Uh, I ended up being fairly depressed uh, as a teen. Uh, I felt like I was alone, like nobody cared about me, like I couldn't bother other people with my problems or else they wouldn't care about me that my value was determined by what I could do for other people, and that if I needed their help, that they wouldn't love me anymore. Now, praise God, he delivered me from that. He showed me that there is someone who loves me regardless of what I can do for him. There is someone who cares about me uh, regardless of, you know, again, what I can do or whether I can care for myself. Uh, and, you know, God met me again and, and showed me that he is uh, always there for me that he will never leave me nor forsake me. But that independence, that self-reliance, was something that I carried with me uh, for you know, another number of years. Uh, in my early 20s, I was getting ready to marry my lovely wife. Uh, we lived in Tennessee. Uh, I had a good job. I was working you know, 10 hours a day, four days a week, you know, saving up, uh, putting a sum aside for retirement, getting ready to get an apartment, uh, to move in with my wife after we got married you know, basically preparing the way uh, for my family to support them. When, out of the blue, I get a call from my brother in Wisconsin, who says, hey, Hez, you know, there's a job opportunity here that I think you'd be a really great fit for. You know, it'd be, you know, you'd be able to help out, you know, in this area. And I was like, well, you know, I'm still fairly new to the whole following God thing, but if this is what you want, God, uh, then the job offer is going to be for $21 an hour because that's what I think that I need to provide for myself and my family in the, the living, you know, cost of living economy that we have today. And the job looked good. You know, I thought it would be something that could you know, help you know, grow you know, the experience that I had as a person and individual and could provide well for my family. But I get a call from the second interview, uh, and it's for $14 an hour. And I was like, all right, God, that's a pretty clear no. You know, Wisconsin is not the place for me to go to. Uh, I had laid out my fleece like Gideon. You know, God, if this is from you, it's going to be $21 an hour. It's $14 an hour. This must not be from you, in my mind. But I'd read this passage of scripture uh, that week and, and beforehand, um, and he kept just bringing to remembrance verse 34. Seek first the kingdom of God. Sorry, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And as I thought about it and thought about it, and as I prayed about it and prayed about it, it seemed like God was revealing to me that the dollar amount wasn't what was important, that God was important, and that he could use any amount of money to provide for me. As a man of God, as a husband, and hopefully someday a father, I have a responsibility to provide for my family, to work hard, to spend my time and resources wisely so that the needs of my family are met, 
even to sacrifice for them, you know, as Christ sacrificed for the church, putting their needs before his own. However, as we read in verse 33, my first priority should always be to God, to seek his kingdom and strive for righteousness, to love my family, to lead them spiritually, and to teach my children to walk with God, to trust in the Lord for our provision. For it is not by my hard work that feeds us, but God who gives me the opportunities and the abilities in the first place. As I'd mentioned, Jesus outlines three physical needs in verse 25, the need for food, for drink, and for clothing. We'll look at each of these in scripture uh, in turn. Beginning with Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. When Moses was leading God's people out of Egypt, uh, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And during this time, they were fed daily with manna, as we read in this passage. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it, or manna? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent or his household. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some gathered more and some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. The Israelites in the wilderness did not need to labor for their food, and by no amount of hard work could they earn any extra. Nor could they put any aside for a rainy day, but they needed to trust God every day for their provision. Then in Deuteronomy 8, God explains the purpose of this manna. In verses 1 through 3, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Seeking the kingdom includes walking in humility, recognizing that all we have comes from the Lord, and that obedience to his word is necessary for our spiritual health, just as bread nourishes the body. Jesus himself quotes this passage in Matthew 4, because after fasting 40 days and nights, we read that he was tempted by Satan, for he was hungry. Satan said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, no one can deny that Jesus had the power to provide for himself in this circumstance. He could absolutely have turned those stones into bread. He could have you know, commanded legions of angels to protect him and to care for him and to bring him food and water and care for his physical needs. But he didn't. Because obedience to God was more important than the needs of his flesh, of his body. His response was not to provide for himself, but to trust in the Father for his daily bread. Now the second need, that of drink. We find this, uh, Jesus says to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Later, to those gathered in Judea at the Feast of Booths, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John 7, 37-39. As I found out actually while studying for this lesson, it was in the era of the Second Temple, between the return from exile after 539 B.C. and the Temple's destruction in A.D. 70, that the connection between water and the Feast of Booths came about. By the time of Jesus, it had become an established custom at the feast that the priests would go up to the pool of Siloam to fetch water. They would carry it up in a golden pitcher and walk in procession around the altar, accompanied by the singing of Psalms 113 to 118. Then the water would be poured out. The ritual was performed on each of the seven days, and on the seventh day, the priests would walk around the altar seven times. The water was likely poured out in remembrance of God providing water in the desert. It was also meant as a prayer for abundant rain for the new agricultural season, and understood as pointing forward to the promised river that would flow from the temple after the day of the Lord. The significance of Jesus choosing this day to proclaim the living water of the Holy Spirit might be lost on us today, but we can actually see the reaction of those present in verses 40 through 44, where some said, this is the prophet. And others, this is the Christ, while still others wanted to arrest him. I didn't realize the connection until now, but it's another example of how cool God's word is. So as we are nourished by the word of God, so our thirst is quenched by the spirit of God. In John 6, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, the crowd pursues him, asking for more food. They wanted their physical needs met. But Jesus says to them, beginning in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. John 6, 48 through 58. We know that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the word made flesh, and through belief in him we receive the Holy Spirit, which is the river of living water. The people came to him seeking their physical needs met, but over and over Jesus points them to a more important need that can only be filled through accepting him as Lord. See, it doesn't matter how much food we eat or how much drink we have or how much shelter that we have if we don't have a relationship with Christ, if we don't have the eternal life that comes only through Jesus, we're still going to die. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe even 80 years from now. But what is that compared to eternity? For mankind is but a breath of air on the wind, here today and tomorrow cast into the flames. Just like the grass of the field gathered up and thrown into the oven to be burned, it's all temporary, except for the things of the Spirit, except for the things that Jesus gives us the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the third thing, uh, the garments of righteousness. For when we accept Jesus as Lord, we receive not only spiritual food and drink through the Word and the Spirit, but are clothed in new garments of righteousness. Zechariah 3 gives us an illustration of this through the vision of the prophet. I was showed Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Then the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove those filthy garments from him. And to Joshua he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity among, away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And the prophet said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. 
And that day declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. On the day that Jesus died, he removed the stain of sin from all who believe. The iniquity was washed away, wiped clean, the slate removed. So that when Jesus stands before us as an, excuser, as an accuser, his words carry no weight, for the price was already paid. We are given new clothing, which is described also in Isaiah 61.10, where it says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Satan may stand ready to accuse you, to bring up every sin from my past. But like the kids say these days, I'm rubber, you're glue. Everything you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Jesus has clothed us in his righteousness. He took the blame for our sin, so none of the accuser's words stick. Romans 8.1 says, There is now, therefore, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were unashamed of their nakedness, for they did not know sin. Neither must we be ashamed, for in Christ we stand clothed in righteousness and blameless before God. If we look back in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus asks in verse 35, Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? It's a rhetorical question, of course, because Jesus knows that there is more to our existence than merely physical needs. We read that the earthly treasures do not last, right? That everything on the earth musts or rusts or corrupts, is eaten by moths or stolen by thieves. Just like our earthly treasures do not last, our physical bodies are perishable. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. For when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The birds do not eat by their own labor, nor do they save up for the future, yet they are still fed. God commands us to put our confidence in him for our provision, not to rely on our own efforts. 
Strive first to nourish the souls of yourself and your family. For the day will come when the physical no longer matters. Do not be anxious about things that can harm the body, but be wary of the things that harm the soul. God knows that we have physical needs, and he promises to, provide, to supply them. Our focus should be on seeking him to provide for our spiritual food, our drink, and clothing, and trusting him to provide for the physical, whether in abundance or in little, whether it looks like we have a lot or a little, plenty or in want, as Paul writes in Philippians 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity to give. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every and every, any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, save for you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Philippians 4, 10 through 20. As we read in Matthew 6, uh, verse 24, we ought to be wary of putting our confidence in material things. For if our trust is in what we have or what we can do, it is not in God. You cannot serve two masters. If our confidence is in material things, we cannot help but be anxious. Saving or striving for the day, what we have is not enough. It may not seem like it when you have a home, a car, enough saved up for a rainy day, but the anxiety is there every time a situation that comes up to test your confidence. When God asked me to move to Wisconsin, to set aside a well-paying job for one that didn't pay what I thought I needed, to set aside the support structure of my parents and her parents for strange land, where strange people and strange customs Sure, my brother was there, but he was often traveling or sick and isn't really a, a foundational point for our lives. But to say, God, if this is your will, I will trust you. And he has provided abundantly above and beyond all that I could ask or think. When God asked me to move to Wisconsin, I felt strongly in my heart that this is where he wanted me to be. Cheyenne's parents did not feel the same. And for a period of two months, uh, after I moved and before we got married, 
I was looking for an apartment and a place uh, to prepare the way for my wife to come join me after we got married. My fiance to join us after we got married. And everyone in her church was telling her, you know, I feel a storm. You know, Hezekiah is not following God. He's going to Wisconsin because that's where he wants to be. If he loved you, he wouldn't ask you to leave your family. And I felt in my heart this is where God wanted me to be. You know, every scripture verse that I read was the same thing. Seek God. Trust his wisdom. Trust his will. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I would talk to Cheyenne every night on the phone and just tell her scripture verse after scripture verse of what God had revealed to me. And the hardest thing was that Cheyenne didn't want to hear that. She told me, I'm tired of you quoting scripture at me. I just want to hear what you think. And the only thing I could say is it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God says. And I was trying so hard in my own strength to convince her that this is what God wanted for us. That I pushed her away. She told me one night, if I wasn't driving back to Tennessee to live with her, that we weren't going to get married. That if I loved Wisconsin more than her, that we weren't going to make it work. I was driving my way back to Tennessee, actually, to visit her over a weekend. And she told me, if you're not coming here to stay, don't even bother coming at all. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. And I was so overcome with you know, grief and anguish, I had to pull off the highway because I couldn't see through the tears in my eyes. And I said to God, God, I thought you wanted me to marry Cheyenne. But I know there's a reason you had me move to Wisconsin. I know it's not about what I want or what I think that I need. Lord, whatever your purpose is, that's what I want to look for. So whether you give me Cheyenne or whether you take her away, I will continue to bless your name. But Lord, I don't want to give up Cheyenne. So if this is what you want for me, open her eyes. Help her to see what I see. Help her to know you, what you had planned for her. And if that's not to be, then I trust you anyway. So I got back in the car and called my mom and continued driving because I figured, you know, if I'm going to make a trip, I may as well see my mom and dad and my family, even if Cheyenne doesn't want to see me. And I went to church Sunday morning and uh, I went to church with Cheyenne and her parents. We were sitting in a pew. There are the chairs like these, and uh, after service, uh, we gathered together to pray, her family and mine, and our parents just prayed over us and said, God, you know, whatever your will is, let it be done. So Cheyenne and I went to be alone for a little while, and we prayed again, and it was at that moment, less than 24 hours after I said, God, Cheyenne is yours, she's not mine. You know, I appreciate that you brought her into my life, and I would be over-thrilled if this is what you want for me. But it's not mine. She doesn't belong to me. She belongs to you. And if you don't want her to be with me, then so be it. You are still God.
It's less than 24 hours later, Cheyenne saw what God had showed. That it isn't about our wants or our physical needs or what we think we need or what we think is important to us. God's way is truly better. And when we seek him and we set aside our own wants and our own thoughts and our own desires, even what we think we need for physical, our physical bodies, for nourishment, for support, for supply, we just push all that away and say, God, you come first. In sickness and in health, in richer or in poorer, in happiness or sadness, I'm not going anywhere, God because I trust you. And I know that you will never leave me nor forsake me. If I had said to God, no, I can't move to Wisconsin because I need to provide for my wife. I need to put her first. I need to choose her. I need to sacrifice for her and love her more than anything. He would not have been able to use me here these past four years. I wouldn't be here speaking to you today. But I have found great peace and contentment, the opposite of anxiety, and being able to say, everything that I have, from the clothes on my back to the food in my stomach, was given to me by God. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And if he would ask me to give it away at any point, I trust that he will continue to take care of me. Even should I starve to death, die of thirst or exposure, I know that an eternal home waits for me in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Seeking first the kingdom of God means valuing it more than anything else, more than our comforts, more than our luxuries, and yes, even more than our physical needs. As I close, I want to ask three questions. And if you know in your heart that you cannot honestly answer yes to one or more of these, I want you to pray with me and ask the Lord to reshape your priorities. The rich young ruler sorrowfully turned away from following Jesus because he had many possessions. Let us not also value what we have more than the kingdom of God. My first question is this. Is your confidence, is your trust truly in God or in the things that we have and can do? If it helps, picture that like Job, all that you have has been destroyed. Would you still praise God as good? Second, are you pursuing the bread of life and living water with as much hunger as you do your physical nourishment? If, like me, you consume carbs more frequently than the word of God, I would encourage you to ask God to keep you humble and to remind us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And third, are you prepared for the day when this body perishes? 
When we return to the dust, can you claim Christ as Lord, his blood as a covering for your sins, and the robes of righteousness that come from believing in him? Father God, you are worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. You are the author and perfecter of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Through you and by you are all things that exist, and there is nothing that exists apart from you. Father, we pray today that our hearts would be open to you, that our spirits humbled, that our desires for the things that we think we need on this earth would be replaced by the desire for that which is true, for that which is life, for that which eternally matters. Lord, that our desire and hunger for food would be replaced with a hunger for your word, that a desire for drink would be replaced by a desire for your Holy Spirit alive and at work in our lives. And Lord, that our covering would not be the things that we wear or the facades of what we do, of our outward appearance, Lord, but that we would be clothed in righteousness by your Son. By his death and resurrection, we would call ourselves sons and daughters of the Most High that our sins would no longer define us, Lord, but only your truth. Father, I pray that if there's any obstacle in our lives, anything that comes between us and you, Lord, that you would open our eyes to it, or if we're unwilling to give it up, that you would tear it out by force. Because God, even if I'm holding tightly to these things, Sometimes I need you to take them from me so that I can hold on to you instead. So Lord, help us not to be anxious in anything, but in all things by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, to let our requests be made known unto God, and to allow your peace, which passes all understanding, to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We ask this, and we praise your name for it. In Jesus' name, amen.